Welcome to the OA Lighter Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Deborah. I think I need to. Short speaker. Short speaker. I'm a short speaker. Okay. Um, uh, hi, my name is Deborah. I'm a compulsive overeater, vomiter, and drug addict. <laughs> and um, thank you, uh, Sarah, for asking me to share tonight. Well, I was just sitting there next to Ed and, and saying that I was nervous. And he goes, why? You've done this like a thousand times. And um, and he's right, but I'm just not used to like it's a really long time. And um, uh, I teach young children. And when I get home, actually as soon as I get in the car, I love quiet. And I'm not used to the sound of my own voice for a really long time. I like I hear it all day long. And it's like, do I have to talk that long? So at any rate. Like I said, my name is Deborah. I'm a compulsive overeater, vomiter, and drug addict. And um, I walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous on May 15th, 1981, which is 33 years ago. And I like to say that the only two things that I did right were that I kept breathing and I kept coming back. That was it. Um, this year I celebrated 24 years of back-to-back abstinence. And if you do the math on that, you'll realize it took me nine years to get abstinent. And I'm not talking about nine years like I was here and then I went away for a few months and then I came back once. I'm talking about nine years of four or five meetings a week, sometimes seven meetings a week, some days, some weeks, multiple meetings in a day, two trips through an eating disorder unit, six weeks at a long-term women's care facility. And when I got out after that, I still went out again. Okay? Along the way, because um, like I said, I was a drug addict because, oh, I have pictures, which I will pass around. I have both ends of this disease. The most wonderful part about these pictures is they say like 1972 on the back, um, or three, or something like that. Um, I, my, I stand just a little over five feet tall, and my top weight was about 175 pounds, and my barfing cocaine-induced weight was about 102. So I run both ends. I did get sober along the way, and I celebrated 31 years of sobriety this year. Sober was definitely easier than abstinent. Um, and I say that because you can just put down the drugs and alcohol, but I have to pick up the food every single day and make choices that nurture my spirit. Um, I, I love that this meeting is being podcast or recorded for podcast because friends of mine who live in other parts of the country and other parts of the world have told me, and people who have lived in L.A. and, and went away and said, I heard your voice. It made me feel like home. I give, you give me so much hope. So I want to dedicate this um, to a person who just struggles with this program and will not surrender. And she doesn't know that she won't surrender. She thinks she is surrendering, but she just is sort of like claw scratching down the wall. She's just not really letting go. And it breaks my heart. And I talk to her and email with her frequently. I met her um, five years ago in Paris, and we have stayed in touch several times a week since then. And... Um, 
I say things to her that are the things that you have all said to me. There's nothing new that I'm going to say. I'm just a link in the chain of what someone else before me gave me. And, and that's the way I get to stay absent today. I um, have a commitment at the, oh, you're all welcome to come, 7.30 in the morning Saturday meeting in Burbank. I know a lot of you have heard about it. It's a great meeting. Come on anytime. And I have a commitment there. And I was there this morning, and the speaker... When he was having the person read, like, either How It Works and more about alcoholism, handed her the book, and the person was a newcomer, and she started reading, and she didn't really know where she was reading from, and she didn't actually read How It Works. She read from after that, and it's the place where How It Works and ends. It stops. It says, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a, a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people live by, try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like the actor who wants to run the show, forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do what he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. And all I could think about, besides myself, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we always, always think about ourselves, was this person in Paris. And I watch her because she has family and she works and her husband doesn't do this and the children don't do that. And she's forever arranging. And what she needs to do is get her food in order and all the rest of it will take care of itself. I really, really have come to understand that when my food is in order, everything takes care of itself. And doesn't mean I'm going to like it. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it means that I'll be present to know what the next indicated thing to do is. Okay. I have the luxury today of, of some background. I threw up for 18 years. I'm a miracle that I have all my teeth in my mouth, all my organs work, and I'm a, you know, paragon of good health, you know. I'm 62 years old um, and have two grandchildren and uh, can still run six miles without an issue. And, you know, that's because I came here. It's because I come here and I put one foot in front of the other and I'm willing to do what I'm told. I've had the same sponsor now for 17 years. That just doesn't, just, that doesn't count the 10,000 sponsors I had before that. Okay? And every time I broke my abstinence, I get a new sponsor because I had so much shame about what I did. When I came to OA, not a lot of people were talking about throwing up. So I could totally relate to the binging because that is what I did. I just threw it all up afterwards, and I came to understand that the throwing up was simply one more symptom of my immaturity. I wasn't even willing to take the consequences of putting the food in my body. So I gave, take the food, and I gave it back, you know, and um, I, I really came to understand that as... Um, my own level of responsibility that I was willing to take for myself. Uh, when I did get abstinent, um, 
It wasn't like there was um, fireworks or today's going to be the day or I'm never going to. It came really quietly. I, I had binged. I was full of food. I went to go throw up. And I said to myself, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. And I walked away, and I've never gone back there. Now, my food was not perfect. You know, um, I gained weight. And when I was no longer willing to accept the consequences of the food that I was putting in my body, I began to be willing to look at what foods I was putting in my body and make choices that supported the body that I wanted to live in. And my bottom line is a bulimic is I eat it, I own it. No renting food, no giving it back. Whatever I choose. So if I want to eat three chocolate cakes a day and I keep it, I'm abstinent. But if I don't want the consequences of what that food does, then I choose not to eat it. So that's, you know, and I do have foods that I don't eat, and that came um, through health challenges over the years. And I'll be glad to talk to anybody about foods, but basically the food that I don't eat is sugar, flour, and dairy. I don't eat sugar, flour, and dairy. And the people go, well, what do you eat? That means you can't eat this, and you don't eat cheese, and you don't eat yogurt, and you don't eat... I'm like, yeah, I know. And I have traveled all over the world. Paris, Tahiti, Istanbul, Sochi, not for the Olympics. We were there before that. Um, <laughs> all uh, Hawaii, multiple times. Abstinent, 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 abstinent. And... I will be glad to share with anyone on cruises. Cruises I find easy because there's a lot of fruit and vegetables. Um, another thing that I couldn't do was I could never get past the second date with anyone. I was like, they were in the way of my food. Seriously. I would come home from dates and I wouldn't come home. I'd be on a date and I'd go, oh, I'm getting tired. i got to go to work tomorrow. Watch the person leave and then go out and buy foods to binge. I did that for years and years and years and years. And when I was about 16 years, I can't remember if it was abstinent or sober. It was 13 years ago, 14 years ago, whatever it was. You can do the math on that. 14 years ago, my sponsor said to me, you're clean, you're sober, you're abstinent, your relationships with other human beings stink. You need to go to Al-Anon. She said, Al-Anon is graduate school. When you take away all the substances, all the shopping, all the sex, all the whatever else, the gambling, which I didn't do, but if you take away everything else, what am I left with? Other human beings. And I... Like I said, couldn't get to a second or a third date with anybody, ever. So I started going to Al-Anon, and about um, six months in, uh, I was at a party. And um, that was my Al-Anon sponsors. And um, I met somebody, and we're married. And um, we've been married for six, we were married six years, and we've been together 13 years and that's how I got grandchildren. <laughs> I have three beautiful stepdaughters, one of them who is celebrating four years sober, and that's another story for another time. Um, but um, uh, I learned how to not get fired from jobs, which I also had a huge record of getting fired from jobs or 
being asked to leave when your contract was up, just not getting your contract renewed. So, you know, that that's a lot of my story and um, who I am and who I am today. And, you know, I can give you all the stories about eating from the gutter and stealing food and stealing money from my business partner to buy cocaine and on and on and on. I can give you just nightmare stories. You know, I got sober in Chicago and... Um, you know, I can give you the stories about sitting in the Dunkin' Donuts at, uh, when it was 44 below zero on New Year's Day waiting for the supermarket across the street to open. And um, and how unbelievable it was that my car actually started when it was 44 below zero. Um, and so I have all the stories, and, uh, you know, I can go you tit for tat. So I've earned my seat here. Um, over and over and over again and like I said gratefully the only thing that I did right was that I kept coming back and I kept coming back because you know and you've all heard these phrases last house on the block there was nowhere else that I could possibly go I used up you know all, I cashed in all the chips you know and I can't give you like litanies of diets and things I did and you know but Whatever reason you're sitting in the chair, that's the same reason I'm here. Okay. So, what else can I tell you? I mean, it's like it's the short version and the long version. So, I, I came here and, you know, I, I had a really hard time because um, the people in my life said, like what I said, on page, that's, by the way, that was on page 61. And I was thinking about... Um, the big book. Oh, this is what my big book looks like. Okay, this is what my big book looks like. There goes some more pieces, okay? That's what my big book looks like. And, you know, I, I'm thinking when you were reading how it works here, that we often forget that that's just the next page after the end of Chapter 4. It's not this isolated proclamation of how we're going to get better. It's like you start reading the book, and at the end of Chapter 4, you turn the next page, and there's this chapter called Chapter 5, How It Works. And so it's the next piece of what I'm supposed to do. And the way that I get well is to work with a sponsor and take the direction of the person, which may mean sometimes reading the book and writing, which... I really hate. And I know there's a lot of people who just love writing, and I'm telling you, I have to have, like, you know, ruts in the ground, and, you know, I have to be in a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of pain for me to pick up a pen. And um, and then the converse side of that is I will always tell you, which is, you know, that stubborn and ego thing, that after I've done it, I'm always glad. You know, I'm always glad to have had, uh, to finally reach the willingness to 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 do that. Um, I use a lot of the other tools um, a lot more than writing. Um, I go to a lot of meetings, and um, I have sponsees, and I work with a sponsor, and I take service commitments. I've done service above the level of the inner group. I've done um, world service uh, commitments, and there, you know, I can't tell you how rewarding those things are so if you ever get an opportunity to do to take world service and um, intergroup commitments and region commitments it's really good last year the i don't know if anybody went to the region two um convention down in palm springs last year it was outstanding it was outstanding i know that um somebody 
from the west side put together all the speakers and she just did a fabulous job and it was just really a, a wonderful place to be last summer even though it was 122 degrees in Oxford. Okay. Um, which was actually really good because then everybody stayed in at the meetings. Okay? They weren't all out of the pool. They were in at the meetings. I know I'm rambling. Um, and, and I'm having kind of a hard time getting a, a focus here. I have a life today that's truly beyond my wildest dreams. That, that's what I want to say to you. And everything... I was talking to Ed before the meeting, and, you know, he told me, well, you don't, you can stop early, then they'll just ask you questions, you know, like, what's God in your life, and blah, blah, you know, like, we were joking, and I, and I turned to him and I said, you know, I can answer, that's one I can actually answer, and, and it's something that I heard at another meeting, and what I heard somebody say, because I was one of these people, and you know that first nine years where I didn't get abstinent, it's because I was trying to figure out how God gods. You know, it's like, well, how does God do God, you know? And I heard this woman say, when she finally let go of trying to figure out what God was and simply accepted that God was, she got better. It all fell in place. So when I stopped trying to figure out how God did God and just accepted that there is a God, the rest was easy. The rest was easy. And that's, that's how I basically, that's my God's spiel. And, and I don't argue with it. I don't understand it. I don't try to figure it out. Um, I do believe it's there. And I do believe that in those moments when I can't figure it out, if I'm willing to ask another person, if I'm willing to get quiet and let go of my ideas of how my life is supposed to look, then I'll know what to do next. It, you know, I was in this long-term women's care treatment center that I went to was in Champaign, Illinois. And that is in southern Illinois. Um, the University of Illinois is there. And I was in this uh, treatment center. And they used to take us to meetings, both AA and OA. And you never know when a person's going to actually say something that becomes profound and life-changing for you. It's like just a string of words put together. They're just sharing their share. And suddenly for you, it's like, whoa. And she talked about letting go of the myth. She had to let go of the myths that she created of what her life was supposed to look like. And I realized it was like, right, you know, all, all the energy that I was putting forward to make certain things happen. And I had to let go of those ideas in in a really profound way. Like I couldn't keep some back and think maybe I can come back to them and they'll work later. You know, it's like just be open to what the universe is going to hand you. And that's what all of this tells me you know it tells me if I put down the food the drugs the alcohol that are killing my spirit that are blinding me from seeing God's will in my life if I have the willingness you know the program asks us to be willing to go to any length 
doesn't mean I'm going to have to go to any length. I just need to be willing to go to any length. You know? Am I willing to go to any length? Then I have a chance. But as soon as I pick up the food, it's like the tunnel closes in. And I can see nothing but the next whatever it is. And there's no hope. There's no hope until I, like, pass out and come to the next day. And I've passed out in sugar fogs more than once and have woken up in bed with the parts and pieces, all my little lovers around me, you know, cashew nuts and pizza. And, you know, they were all there. They were all there, you know. The, you know, there were the nice things about them. They didn't talk back. They were always there, you know. And the thing that I've had to learn to do here is, is communicate. I've had to learn to communicate to the people in my life when I'm scared, which is most of the time, um, when I'm angry, which is not very often, um, when I'm sad, when I hurt. I had to learn to identify feelings. One of the best things they gave us in treatment was one of these little, little things with, like, these little icons on it of faces. And this is, like, 1985, I think, you know. And, like, happy, sad, jealous, angry. I was like, oh, I didn't know these had names. You know, I didn't know feelings had names. All I knew was um, rage or ecstasy. And there was nothing in between. I was either really happy, it was a good day, or... I'm eating by 10 o'clock with my head in the toilet and my life is at an end again. I found Overeaters Anonymous from a therapist. That stupid woman gave me her home phone number. You know? And I'd be calling her like, you know, 2 in the morning, stoned on food after barfing, and she's like, you know, we're really going to have to find something else for you. You need to call Overeaters Anonymous. And so I called Overeaters Anonymous. And I called Overeaters Anonymous on May 14th, 1981, uh, completely blotto from food. And uh, it was a Thursday night. I had a job where I didn't work on Fridays at that point. And um, so I could binge all Thursday night because I didn't have to get up. And at about 9.05 in the morning, the phone rings. And this bright, cheery voice told me about Overeaters Anonymous, and I was like, oh, yeah, right. And there was a 545 meeting that evening at, um, at a hospital in downtown Chicago, and I went to that meeting. I found it odd that it was in the doctor's dining room, um, <laughs> but it was, and we were there at 545 every Friday night ever since, and I think the meeting's still going on, except it's across at a place called Anderson House. Is that where somebody here from Chicago? I don't know. If he, he's down downtown? Okay. It's still going on. It's just in a different location at another one of the facilities of the hospital. And I've never turned back. That's the one thing I did, was that I never turned back. I, I was, you know, done. You know, wasn't abstinent, but I had found what felt like home. So, um, so, um, what can, what can I say here? It's like, uh, so I am graced and blessed, um, with a husband who works a 12-step program. And it really, um, it really is, um, a miracle 
in our lives because we speak a language together and uh, he has a healthy respect for my abstinence Um, I tell him that there's like a chair reserved for him here he's a person who can take a Hershey's kiss bite it in half and put the other half back on the shelf I tell him he's really sick yeah he's like a really really sick person you know because he's still able to control it right he's still able to like control his substances but I tell him you know so he goes I learned from you you know so um, he really appreciates us and I am blessed that he has um, the willingness to not shame me about my eating but support um, my choices he's really quite a darling he actually now that there's you know menus on the internet he checks out a restaurant before we make reservations so he's like oh good there's a piece of white fish or a piece of salmon and she'll be happy you know but he knows that I'm simple in my eating and um, supports it so uh, we are lucky to have uh, the language of the steps, and we live the traditions. You know, the the first tradition talks about our common welfare, and I've learned. I had to actually learn how to be an Al-Anon. Okay, I know this is sort of funny. It's like I had to learn how to be an Al-Anon because I never stayed past the second date with anybody, so I never had to like talk to anybody. So I didn't know how to like be selfless. Because it was always about me. I, uh, my, my father died when I was 15 years old. Actually, it was like two days before my 16th birthday. And uh, I think that that may have been one of the things that like pushed me over into um, from just you know eating all the Halloween candy to truly being the hot compulsive overeater. And um, uh, I'm Jewish, and so there was we were sitting shiva and. All the food that was all over this house, and it was just like my birthday, and I think it was what really pushed pushed me over um, to the other side. And um, I do not even know why I went on with that. Completely lost my train of thought. Um, but I have been a compulsive overeater since I was 15 years old and probably before and um and um um I want to move to a, a closing here and and share with you that the most important relationship that I have in my life today is my relationship with my higher power Without that, there is nothing else. There's nothing else. I will ruin my relationship with my husband. I will ruin my relationship with my family. That took many, many years to repair. I will get fired from my job, and I will want to sit in bed and eat and barf. I will gather food, most of it's stolen, because that's what I had 
defaulted to was how much I could like sneak in you know when they started making the packages of cookies so you couldn't poke your finger into them anymore was because of people like me you know it's like for years I you know would go you'd poke your finger through the plastic and cellophane and it used to be easy and then they made those things you can't get into those things anymore I teach school trust me I know I have to open them for snack and stuff but you know those, I was one of those people who walked through the store and I'd poke it and I'd take three or four and then go over here and I poke something else. So I had a lot of events to make to grocery stores, you know, which is very humbling to do, um, but has been done um, to more than one. And I, you know, I I can I can put my wife on a scale today. Do I want to have grandchildren who call me Nana? Woohoo! That was a big deal. Nana, I'm Nana, Nana today. Okay. Do I want to have macadamia nuts? Do I want to get invited back for my 21st year at the job I'm in instead of getting fired? Or do I want macadamia nuts? Um, I mean, it's like, it's really clear. It's, it's like, it's like almost, it's like painfully clear. It's like spotlights. And I want my life today. I want my life today. My husband comes home and tells me he bought tickets for a cruise from Athens to Venice. I'm like, woohoo! I can screw that up in a minute. You know, I can screw that up with one fill in the blank. And it's gone. And I don't, you know, those nine years, I kept getting another chance. I've always thought there was another chance. I don't know if there's another chance. And I don't want to try and find out if I get another chance. You know? There's a lot of people who said to me, well, you weren't really an alcoholic. I wasn't. You want to know why I didn't drink a lot of alcohol? I bet you all know. It was really high in calories. <laughs> Did a lot of drugs, but not a lot of alcohol. Really. Eat my food any day. And these people said, but why don't you just try a glass of wine? I don't want to go and take a newcomer's chip. I am vain. I like my 31 years. I'm not giving it back. There's nothing in that glass that's going to make my life any better. So I'm saying no. Thank you. And the only way I can do that is because I have a higher power today who I truly believe loves and cares about me unconditionally. You know, and I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have that. I looked for it in the bag of Halloween candy. I looked for it in the bowl of grapes in the refrigerator. I looked for it in bread, butter, and sugar sandwiches. And folded over, not cut. And um, <laughs> things to remember, right? And I have today a life that is so painfully boring. Okay, My, well, my husband and I talk about how glad we are that it's lame. It's like boring. You know, in the most wonderful way. No self-created drama. I think about my friend in Paris and all the self-created drama. I have no self-created drama. I come home in the afternoon. I eat my dinner. Friggin' 8.30, I'm in bed with a book. It's like bad, you know. You know, it used to be, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock, you're getting ready to go out. Me, I'm like, I'm hitting the bed. So... You know, you probably hear almost every week people stand up here and talk about gratitude. The gratitude is profound. I hope my gratitude has some sense of humility. It does have grace. And I am honored 
that I was broken, broken enough to be willing to finally give up and do what those who went before me told me to do with the faith that my life would get better. And the miracle is that it has. Thank you very much for being here. My daily spiritual practice before I open my eyes. <laughs> Sorry, it's not you. <laughs> uh, third step prayer. I love the third step prayer. Third step prayer for me is about getting out of my own way. Please, and if I do it shorthand, it's always please relieve me of the bondage yourself. Just, I just got to get out of my own way. I have. Um, 23 students and a teaching partner who really does not like me at all and makes my life really uncomfortable every day and um, I am his junior I mean I have more teaching time but in our hired roles he's the lead teacher and I'm the uh, associate teacher and he never lets me know when I talk about communication what's going to happen next so I'm anxious all day long, I live with this little anxiety that I know a bagel would solve. <laughs> and they're always in the teacher's lounge. Okay? And, you know, so I live with that and I give that to God all day long. Show me your will. Show me your will. How can I be there for the children? Show me your will. And I pray for him. I pray for He's like half my age. I pray for him. So um, I talk to God a lot. Um, like I said, I'm not good at one of those writing letters to God. I hear people do it a lot. Um, so that's about it. I pray and I meditate. Um, not a specific amount. There are some guided meditations that I use that I really, really like. So the 10 to 20 minutes. Traveling advice. Yes. Um, and I say this to all my sponsees. Failing to plan is planning to fail. I heard it in these rooms. I'm not giving you anything new. I go on trips. I There's certain foods that travel easily. I, I am a big, like, tuna fish fan. And those, you don't even need can openers anymore. Those little flat packs, I throw them in the suitcase. Good, I got a protein portion, you know. I do take my, I, I um, eat uh, grains, and I actually will pack those with. There I am, three weeks, 21 little portions in my baggies. So I pack foods. So now, it's about the willingness to go to any length. Sometimes I'll come back with 15 of them because I didn't need them. But they're there in case I need them, so I don't have to think about it. I, I plan, you know. You know when, when we're going to, like, Chicago or something like that, I don't have to plan so much. You know, Dominic's is down the street, you know, Jewel Markets, so it's easier. But if I'm going to, like, Istanbul or Paris, or that stuff's going in the suitcase. You are very welcome. <laughs> Thanks for letting me share